Welcome to today's episode of the Ain't That Good Podcast with me, Brandy, Tanya, Chelsea, Keisha, and you. This episode is a little bit different in that we've included other people around our table. We were not sure if this was an episode we were going to actually air as we just hit record as we discussed the book, All of God, that we went through with several other women. And the content was just so rich that we decided that it would be really great for you all as the listeners and feel like the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you the way that He spoke to us through this book. We really hope you enjoy this episode as well as the one to follow it. So stay tuned to All of God, John Brevere book discussion between all of us. Our discussion today is based on the book All of God by John Bevere. And I love this book because the premise of this book is it's differentiating between healthy, holy fear of God and lesser fears that cripple and paralyze. And so have any of you, was anything revealed to you about things in your life, fears that you may have that cripple and paralyze? And let's talk about unhealthy fear first. What in your life do you think at times, in whatever setting it may be, not just the spiritual arena holds you back? One that runs things throughout the book that I think that, and I'll just speak for myself, but I think it's all of everybody who's ever been created is the fear of man. There's so many things when I'm reading through it and through my day-to-day life, I'm like, I didn't say that because I'm afraid of how it's going to make that person feel. I know I should have said it, but I didn't say it because I know what so-and-so is going through and that might come across offensive. I was disobedient to God because I was afraid of what that person might feel or have an experience that was unpleasant of me and then it might come between our relationship instead of pushing through and honoring God and allowing that obedient heart to be over the fear of man I can't tell you how many times and even in my marriage like not saying things because I didn't want to upset my husband or want to make sure I did things the right way because I was afraid of this or that so it just really I knew that was there but my goodness through reading this how prevalent to it became a, whoa, Brady, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. You got a problem. Fear of man, yes. And I think sometimes we don't speak up because we fear the tension. Yes, no doubt. Because in the hard spaces, there is a tension mm-hmm. that it creates initially to work through, especially when you're talking about marriage or a relationship of that proximity. It's just like, one, one I fear the tension, and two, I don't like its inconvenience. It feels like it's hard, it's work. So it's, it's easier sometimes just to ignore it or just to not deal with it or just to do life as usual. So that definitely paralyzes me, just yes. that fear of conflict and tension. <clears throat> I'm just tired and I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think as I've gotten older, those fears aren't as, I guess, as prevalent to me. Sure. I fear more of, I guess, the urgency of time running out mm-hmm. and I'm, not doing all the work that I feel like I'm supposed to. It's a fear of this urgency and anxiety of, ooh, mm-hmm. what have I not done yeah. that I'm supposed to do? Sure. And, you and know, you're right. As we turn 50, I agree. <laughs> you know, the the little things that I used to worry about, it's like, why did I? Mm, yeah. But, but, yeah. The, Lord, the Lord's like, <laughs> really? Does that matter at all? Right. I got work for you to do, sister. Get <laughs> your eyes open. <laughs> yeah. Especially things that have occurred in our personal life, you know, over the last few years. It's just totally changed your perspective. Mm. 
on why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing, what's important. You feel it's a good point. It's a good point. I think my greatest obstacle is I do not want to be vulnerable. Because? It's costly. Yes. It's painful. Yes, it's work. But beauty cannot grow out of invulnerability. When you're not vulnerable, you are not your truest self. You're not able to communicate your deepest needs to the person beside you or even before the father, perhaps. And I think in the busyness of life, the distraction kills vulnerability because there's not enough time. Just like you were saying, Tanya, vulnerability has to have a space to be present. Yes, he has to have a t- intentionality. So do y'all remember in the um, Find Your People book, when Jeannie Allen, they talked about their small group mm-hmm. and vulnerability. They give each other their budgets every year. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa, now that's a whole nother level of vulnerability when you're inviting people into how you spend your money, mm-hmm. because that is very telling about mm-hmm. what is important. Yes. Sure. Well, and vulnerability is not, not a spur of the moment. Right. So it's what it Take it. Time to <laughs> you got it. You know, you're usually not just vulnerable off the cuff. Yeah, it takes some time. And how do you create that space? I mean, I think that's a really great point. And I would dare to say that most of us lack vulnerability on a regular basis. The vulnerability that we we deeply desire, because I believe we all want to be exposed. We all truly at the very core of who we are want to be known. We want to be known by by those who are closest to us. So on a practical side, what are some ways that we could actually create a space for that to happen? And is it important enough for us to do that? Or we just sit around a table like this and talk about it and how great it is. It's actually never doing them about it. Right. So I mean, I, like, that's legit. And then when the holiday ends, back to work. And it's right. just it's just back into it. I'm just tired of that kind of stuff, man. I'm just tired of it. Because I do it. But I don't want to be like that anymore. I love what he talked about in the book about your actual versus your perceived and projected image. Yeah. How interesting. How there is the way that people see us is our perceived image. The way we want people to see us is our projected image. But then there's the actual true us. Yes. And I remember one time I was doing a Bible study and, and the Bible teacher was talking about how posturing would present itself in her life and she said it wasn't even that I was trying to be someone who I wasn't she said I was really just trying to be who I desperately wanted to be oh yeah and that's always struck me because sometimes we can find ourselves maybe projecting but man that's that's who I really wish I was Mm -hmm. you know but how do you how do you get to that true authentic place of yourself and I do think it's in community and in vulnerability and when you have spaces where you feel like I can be not enough. So we talked about shame scripts last night when we recorded what our shame scripts are. Mine was I'm not enough. Chelsea's was I'm too much, which we thought was interesting. And, you know, you feel safe enough to be in those spaces that people aren't going to leave the room. I can be vulnerable. I can be not enough. You can be too much. We can be whatever we are. And yet those people don't leave. I think that's the only time you're ever going to get to the place where you can share your Budgets or something. I mean, you know, yeah. that, that level, of, just as an example, that level of safety. Trust. Everybody trust. has to feel safe. And maybe it's a, on a practical side, like a weekly <clears throat> touch-in that you just, whether it's a phone call that you give. And, you know, I know that I didn't read the Jenny Allen book. You guys are great. 
I didn't do it, but I've heard, I feel like I know it because you guys talk about it a lot. I need to read it. Tell me about it for me. I know that it's so beneficial, you know. Um, But I know that, and now I believe there were some questions that they asked one another, you know, all regular basis. Yeah, on a regular basis that they just, whether it was once a week or, you know, every other week or once a month, that really kept them like accountable to it and it really speaks to a podcast that we've been listening to on confessional community and truly being okay like i'm gonna confess this to you yes and it is i'm real bad and ugly right now but i'm gonna tell it anyways and it it's gonna sound real raw and real real <clears throat> maybe not christian like real fleshy in my mouth because i'm feeling it for real yeah listen the conversations we have are not all most those are not always real real good but they're honest and that's the lord already knows our heart you know he already and we hide that stuff from him too many times as if he doesn't already know it right you know and that's just again just kind of tired of that Mm -hmm. i think that's the beauty of us three in the same office square by square day in day out we have those rough conversations almost daily good which is very healthy (laughs) yeah (laughs) good for together all the time sure and sometimes I may not confess, not because I really don't want someone to know. I'm just not ready to deal with it. I'm not to Right. Because once I speak it, it's out there's, there. There's the accountability, and there's the, Absolutely. now you're going to have to deal with whatever this is. Because yeah. somebody's going to come back and say, well, how's that going? Did right. you, mm-hmm. yeah. you talk Hopefully, to that right. person? Yeah. And sometimes you're just tired. Right. 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 I'm yes. like, it's, it's work, and it's just, there's so many I don't things that talk I about it out you. It's just like... <laughs> <laughs> but and, vulnerability may be mm-hmm. when the topic comes up to say you know what i'm really tired mm-hmm. i don't think i can process it right now mm-hmm. can we meet right. 72 hours from now Ooh, right. i need i need a sure. good meal i actually need to sleep on it right. that's vulnerable to say mm-hmm. that to say i'm just not ready to, to approach it right now i'm not yes. ready to face mm-hmm. up quite yet and i think that's okay <clears throat> sure and here and god he also brings really hard circumstances in your life. He forces you to be vulnerable sometimes. And in, in ugly transparency, that's one of the things I wrote. What keeps me from fear of the Lord, I put fear of the unknown and inconvenience. Mm. Because like Jan said, it's just hard. It's work. It's like, I, you know, it's one more thing to deal with, one more thing to be accountable for, one more discussion to have to have. And so that sometimes would keep me from the fear of the Lord. Because it does, it does cost something on our part, not even just to... Not even just to reveal what's going on in my life, but to show up for someone else. Sure. Yeah. To talk about how we can be empowered by holy fear, Second Peter 1, verse 2 and 3, by his divine power, or you can transpose that word divine grace, God has given us everything, everything we need for living a godly life. The power is in the grace. The power is in the gospel and how well that is illuminated to our mind. Um, He talks a lot about face-to-face intimacy with God and how important that is, just like face-to-face intimacy with your spouse in growing your love and your adoration, which bonds you to them and reminds you of the covenant. We are a covenant people with God. We are married to God. And we need to act as his bride, as his wife. Um, And according to Peter, 
the power that we have to do that is grace itself. I love this chapter. This was chapter 21. It's called Desire and Power. And it talks about grace being a power. And I have to say, before I read that chapter, I've never used grace as a power, at least not intentionally. Exact same feeling. I I mean, grace is like... (laughs) Yeah. I get excited. I think about a weight room. Grace is... You know, all the, all the weight being just tossed around easily. The power to create, the power to produce beauty um, out of a not great situation or relationship. And I just squander that power so often. And it gets me in touch with what it means when the Bible says, you can't do anything in your own strength. Right. So why am I always trying to do the things yeah, in my, my own strength. pitiful yeah strength when it's the grace when i access the grace of god i have those flaming horse-drawn chariots that elisha's servant saw around me and i can choose to see them or i can choose to deceive myself and not open my eyes because i want my way it all really comes down to i want my way i kept singing that song over and over in my head jeffy during that Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. I mean, that's just so true. You just forget what power there is in that. And I had never even really thought about grace in that term. I don't know. For me, grace has always just been about forgiveness and things extend grace to people. But actually accessing that as that's his power and that's what you're going to use for like that song said, it's greater than all our sin. I mean, how yeah. powerful, right. powerful grace is. Yeah. And our neighbor's sin. <laughs> you know, we need to remember that. Right. <laughs> Not just my, my sin, but my neighbor's sin too. Sure. Absolutely. I have to internalize that. Grace will break you down. Yeah. When you receive, you're the recipient of grace, it will break you down. You're like, why are you stopping with your tracks? Why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve this. I know what I said about you. I know what I did to you. I know I was real bad off and mean as trying to push you away, but you were being so kind. I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. It will break you down. It's confusing. It does. It confuses the enemy. It confuses me every time. It catches me on my heels. Like it, cha- it can't help. I mean, grace can't do anything but change us. It will allow it when we receive it and give it. Man, something about being on the recipient side of that will just break you down. There's a great story about it's Billy Graham's grandson, and his name is very complicated. It's like <laughs> Tulian Trubisky Island. I don't know. But anyways, Billy Graham's grandson, who was very wayward and really struggled. And he, everybody came to him, right? Like, you're Billy Graham's grandson. you got to get it together. Just person after person, like, trying to help him, trying to get him on track. And he said there was one man that was, I think, a friend of his parents who called him, you know, I want to meet with you, take you to lunch, whatever. And he's like, basically, he said, I went because I needed a lunch. Yeah. It's like he was just broke on his own. He was like, okay, whatever. Here we go again. It's going to be another one. It's like, you need to get right. You need to do right. He said the man took him to lunch. Didn't say a word. Just sat with him, hung out with him, took him to lunch. And he said, eventually... That grace is what broke him mm. because he realized 
it's okay. Listen, he's not true. trying to shade me. Mm. And so he has a great book. It's called One Way Love um, that he wrote based on his experience. But he said, you know, kids will run from punishment. They'll run from shaving, but they won't run from grace. Grace will always bring them back. That's deep. And, and I love that it happened over a meal because over and over, mm -hmm. that's how you see this minister. <laughs> yes. Is through a meal. We yep. started Forks and Fellowship at our church. Y'all heard me talk about that, but that's the whole premise of that is Jesus' example in that and how really your kitchen table is your greatest ministry tool. Mm -hmm. And um, the gospel comes with the house key. Have y'all read that book? Yes. No. Never heard of it. The gospel comes with the house key is about uh, the author was a college professor. Uh, maybe if I. Should she ever listen to this? And I'm saying this wrong. I apologize. But I believe she was a college professor. I'm sure she'll never find us. It's be okay. But she was a lesbian atheist. Uh -huh. Okay. Is that right? Uh -huh. And so basically she wanted to interview. It was a prominently known Christian individual and wanted to basically, she was writing some sort of media to combat Christianity. Uh -huh. And they invited her over for dinner. Mm -hmm. And so she thought, well, this would be a great opportunity to ask him some hard questions and really make my case against Christianity and their hospitality and just their generosity and her, their just kindness to her by sharing a meal and just having a simple conversation. And she said that forever changed her life. And now she's, you know, does Christian ministry all over the world. She just kept coming back. They yes. just kept reinviting her. They just kept inviting her again and again. She ended up going back. And that's, that was the same with this guy. Like, you just kept taking him to lunch. And eventually, every time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's ideal. You know what I mean? That's like, ew. And I've seen it oftentimes and have done it, if I'm, you know, honest uh, in my past. But been on the other side of it, like within the church, we're talking about a church setting. When someone does something that's just awful, it's terrible. Typically, what you see, which is so bad, is the church will run away from instead of running to and, and I've heard it said it's kind of like when you have a puncture wound you know in your body the blood rushes to the wound to create a clot to keep you from bleeding out and that as a church that's what we should do is we should we should sprint to them we should sprint to the wound we should sprint to the hurt but so many times whether it's out of fear or not understanding or not knowing what we should say or do. I don't know that I can help them. Mm -hmm. We go the opposite way and people are left wounded. Mm -hmm. And really that's that grace is that we run to the problem. We run to the hurt, to the pain, instead of running away from it. And I've mm -hmm. seen that, you know, in church world as a whole. And I'm like, man, it's just a missed a miss opportunity for the power of mm -hmm. grace to come in and do what all, what only the grace of God mm -hmm. can actually do in someone's life. It's more, yeah, that's true. So we've been talking about spirit of fear. What causes us to be paralyzed, to run away from God, just that fight or flight response that we get when we're in a situation that is scary or unknown or uncomfortable or difficult. So contrast that now as the book did with the fear of God, just a deep reverence and awe of God that leads us to him, kind of like you were saying. How is it, do you think, that we as a society as a whole are missing that? Why is the fear of God, because I think we don't like the word fear, <laughs> we kind of push back against that verbiage to describe God. We like to call him a God of love, and we like to, and he is. 
and a God of patience, and he is, Mm -hmm. and a God of forgiveness and compassion, and he is, but he is also a consuming fire. Sure. He is also a God of holiness that we are called to revere. So why do you think that that is missed? Because we want a relationship with him on our own terms. Yes. Mm -hmm. We worship a God that we create. That's comfortable for us. Mm -hmm. Because that first version you described is so much more Mm -hmm. easy to take. Right. People don't want to think they're going to be under some kind of fire or judgment or have to follow any rules or get in trouble for anything. And it's just like, you know, rules would ban it. Right. (laughs) Bible says God disciplines those he loves. But you don't really want to think about that side of God. You know, I I like in the book where he brought it at one point, you know, we all kind of have a mentality while I'm getting away with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because he does show a lot of grace, does show a lot of grace and patience. And I mean, I know I can have had that mentality in seasons of life where I was just living in my agenda and my will and what I wanted. I know every time I read in the Old Testament about the Israelites, you know, going out of Egypt, and I'm like, what? It was wrong with me. Right. They can be so... Yes. Why do they keep ignorant? <laughs> and then I'm like, ignorant. Oh, we do the same thing. Yeah. Every day. 100%. Day in, day out. <laughs> I want to think, though, if I actually saw, you know, the parting of the sea right in front of my eyes that... You might think differently. Yeah. Think? But we see miracles every day. And we still choose to rebel. <laughs> I like to get as close as I can. To, to sin? Yeah, like, that's where I kind of live. Girl, I got you. <laughs> like, I'm like, our sevens. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'd be like, sevens. I'm just right there. I mean, I'm on I'm the toss of the line. <laughs> it's we, like, geez. there is time in our, like, <laughs> when I should be, <laughs> stay back here. <laughs> We're over here. Like, it's okay. We're just right there. We're still on channel five from that one. That's how I like to think about it. And it's like so distorted and wrong. I think the reframe for me is we desire his gifts or I desire his gifts, but I do not desire him. I want everything that he has to make my life as I think it should be. But I don't actually want a relationship with him and oh my goodness isn't that the one thing we really want our own children to want yes yeah. to want right? us yes, yes. If, not what we give them right. not right. what but all else gift your relationship with yes but mm-hmm. but for them to value us as a parent yeah to see how we love them right. how great our love is for them how we yeah. daily sacrifice for their needs one of the biggest practical takeaways for me from this study, and I want us all to talk about how your life may look different after doing this book, but I was sharing with Jan and Amy and I shared with y'all, a big conviction for me was my prayer life. I mean, I, I pray a lot. I pray fervently. I pray passionately, but I spend very little time in praise and worship because I have a, I feel like we got to get through this list, Lord. There's so many people that need things. I mean, there's so many people with hurts and wounds and I feel a burden to petition and intercede for them, mm-hmm. but I'm coming to him based on what I want him to do, mm-hmm. not in just sitting in his presence based on who he, who he is. So I know for me, that's a huge factor why I miss the awe of God is because I'm just so focused on what, what I need from God mm-hmm. rather than just mm-hmm. having a relationship yeah. with God. 
I mean, looking at Psalms 27, 8 says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Mm, beautiful. Isn't that it? Like if we were to, the awe of God of, okay, you're, you're, you're calling me, you're wooing me to yourself. I'm not going to come. And I think that's it. That's the question is, do we pause enough? Do we revere God enough? Do we stop and recognize the holiness and the glory of God enough? Do we praise, praise Him? Praise Him enough. Do we thank Him enough? And just sit in His presence. Yeah. Now that's right. something, that's hard for me because my mind, I, it, it, it's really hard. Did y'all, I don't remember this, in this book on a podcast where they were talking about um, CNN or someone interviewing Mother Teresa? It was a podcast. Okay, it was a podcast. And basically he asked her, what do you say when you pray? Or what does God say to you when you pray? And she's, or how, how did he start it? I don't, I remember. Either way, he asked, what does God say to you when you pray? And she said, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And he said, well, what do you say? And she said, I don't say anything. I just listen. <laughs> and she said, you could tell the interviewer, just his face was like, like confused. Like, my grace is talking. Like, and what, before what, he could ask works? another question, she said, and if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> But just that being quiet mm -hmm. and still in his presence without, and without feeling like I need to fill the void mm -hmm. that I need to praise or that I need to petition or that I need to intercede. I, could, I don't really know how to do that. I mean, do y'all? I mean, do you have a practice that helps you just sit and just really know I'm in the presence of God and we're just going to enjoy sitting by each other for a minute? I've tried to just look at a so blank, black surface, kind of like your table, to keep my mind focused on him and nothing worldly entering in. Because my mother will talk about, she, she hears the Lord, you know, mm -hmm. tell her stuff and she'll she'll tell me and it will happen. I mean, it's awesome. And I'm like, Tanya, I'm, I want to hear yes. that. I want yes. to hear that. And and I think we do. I think you do. We all have those promptings. Kind of like the book talked about our obedience. Yeah. I mean, we all know when the Lord is calling us to do, but I do desensitize myself. There's seasons where I know, but I don't do it because I'm afraid of what somebody will think. True. Or it's going to inconvenience mm -hmm. me. Or, you know, you, how many a times all three of us, I bet all of us in this table, at some point at church, God has told you to go up and pray for somebody. Yeah. Sure. How many times has he said, I want you to go pray for that person? We don't do it because <laughs> of the kind of paralyzing fear we're talking about. I don't know if you remember. Exactly. One time, <laughs> mom and I were at Walmart and we were at the checkout at Walmart. And we were checking out, and this, the silliest thing that God will ask you to do sometimes, it wasn't silly, but to me it was silly. I remember. You remember what it was saying? I had shared this at youth one time. And so the lady had her name badge on, and God said, say her name. And I thought, yeah, that's weird. I don't want to say her. Because <laughs> down here at Heart, sometimes they wear each other's name tags just to confuse mm -hmm. people. I thought that's probably not even real. I'm having this whole conversation dialogue. Yeah, monologue. This is probably not even her real name. That's going to be weird. Why would I say her name? And so we're checking out groceries. And as I'm paying, I said, thank you. And I said her name. And there was such a change in her countenance. Her not even knowing that I was having this dialogue in my head. We walk out of Walmart and mom says to me, did you see her face when you said her name? And she had no idea that I had just been wrestling with God about no one. I, I remember what, you don't me, for whatever reason. Yeah, that individual 
Yeah. But sometimes it's something so simple, we think mm-hmm. it's so it insignificant, yeah. we don't do it. Yeah. And I have no doubt mm-hmm. you here just like your mother. Yeah. It's just a matter of, mm-hmm. I've got to find that boldness that mm-hmm. what, to, okay. to let go of fear of man. <laughs> why do I care? Why do I care? And you know what? If I come over at church and I say, hey, I'm going to grab you by the hand and we're going to pray. Why do I? Even if they think it's weird. No, you know, I would love for someone to do that with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they probably would too. You know, yeah, sure. I would absolutely. I can't oh, think yeah. of anybody in our church that that would just thrill me. Be like, yes. and I bet everyone else great. there feels the same way. <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. It's, but, a, it's a training too. <clears throat> I mean, the more we do it, the more it's going to give us more opportunities to do it. Mm-hmm. So if we're consistently yeah. not doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he talked about that. Yeah. Here. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. He's squelching yes. it. Like the, yeah. The then at some orange. point, he's like, well, I said, I don't know the dude that they're like, well, I tried with her. <laughs> but it is a training. And the more, and I also think the more you do it, the more you hear his voice, the more mold you are the next time. Yes. It just, it's yeah. like compound interest. It just yeah. keeps it's probably your sensitivity to And you're for sure missing out on your own le- on yes. lessons. Yeah. trying to give you your sure when you are disobedient. Yeah. I mean, we yes. know those are blessings he's trying to give us let me read an offering from chapter 22 about obedience the god-fearing man or woman not only obeys but greatly delights in doing so obedience is not a burden it is a joy this person has the foundational understanding that god is our creator and therefore he knows what makes us and what undoes us Number one, God is the one who knows what's right for me. Number two, God is pure love, and I'm the focus of his love. Number three, God will never tell me to do anything that is detrimental. Whatever he says will always end up best. Number four, therefore, no matter what he says, I gladly choose to obey. I'm going to pose another question. Do you think sometimes we don't obey immediately, also not just because we fear, but because we doubt God's goodness, because we doubt... Anyone who's experienced a hard reality of life, there's a crisis of faith in that where you feel like at some point God didn't come through for me. Uh, well, you, you've heard me say before, I feel like my prayers aren't going past the ceiling when we were going through such a hard time. Like, you, you do. And then, of course, I realized he was just carrying us through the whole thing. But when you're in that sure. deep pit of grief, yeah. you, you do, you know, at times feel like, and then I also feel like at times I'm not good enough, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, I feel like I'm not good enough to, to hear his voice or, or that he's going to use me. Yeah, and I think everybody has these ebb and flows of, mm-hmm. you know, because life's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is. A question, will my obedience really matter? Right. Especially when you're in a season of a hard thing. And sometimes that obedience is really developed in a, in a secret place, in a place of, okay, something that happens to me often, it's, it feels so silly to even say out loud, <clears throat> I'll be walking to a store oh and there's, there's a piece of paper on the ground. And I just walk back to, I walk back to, I'm going to, Lord, you, you told me, I'll stop, I'll turn around and go pick up the dang piece of paper and throw it away. I thought it was just me. Oh, and I mean, it happens all the time and I'm like, but nobody cares that stupid thing. How many times have I walked I out of it. the room and the lights are on and the Lord's like, come on, chills. <laughs> and I go back in the room and turn the lights out. Right. As, it, it, as in like, Lord, you know my stewardship is real poor. 
that. And I think that it was just a reminder. That's no, we had Susan. It was a secret place that we had no. But it's just those little things yeah. that's like, okay, are you hearing my prompting? I just want you to go pick up the piece of trash. <laughs> like, I care. <laughs> I don't care if the person who owns the business cares or the next customer cares. Because I care, I need you to care. Ugh. Okay, put the grocery cart up. Let the grocery cart up. No, I do put my grocery cart up. I do too. I do Other people. Mine always goes up, but when I see other women, I'm like, now somebody's not going to be on parking that spike. In fact, this is sick, but when I don't see someone put their grocery cart up, I'm like, man, you're going to work on that character. You're going to work on that follow through. That's great. That's my little personal <laughs> fleshly judgments on someone I don't even know. Like, and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that, that obedience and that training oftentimes happens in a very secret. Because that's a, that's a, but it, that's an intimacy behind that because it's just you and God is right. the only one wants you to know about it. He knows. And that no one else in that. That is intimate. One of the verses in the book was Leviticus 10.3 Those who come near me but by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And God tells us to be holy as he is yeah. holy. So how do we train for and develop that character? I think, like we said, it's just mm -hmm. through the continued acts of even the smallest obedience mm -hmm. that just seems seemingly insignificant to us. Picking up trash, putting mm -hmm. up farts, saying a woman's name in a grocery mm -hmm. store. Mm -hmm. But it, it's when we have a to-do list and our head is down and we're going and it. We fear what they're going to think, and we fear that, man, how's this going to change my schedule? I've already got yes. all this stuff to do today. I'm already late. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. Hence the need for margin mm -hmm. in our lives, so that when he compels us to do something, we have the ability to do so. Yeah. That's one thing I'm bad about, is I'll take everything down to, well, I only need an hour for this and this, and I'll mark it out, and then I'll leave no room at times for any margin where if he wanted to stop me, and tell me to do something. Well, I haven't given it a chance to do that. Mm -hmm. Another verse that struck me was in Exodus 33, when here, like Jan said, he's delivered the Israelites, but they're still this stiff-necked people. And then, you know, basically he told Moses, I, I can't go with y'all. I'm, I'm going to be destroying these people on the way because, I mean, <laughs> they are a stiff-necked people. But just that we forget because he is such a God of forgiveness and compassion that he just can't be close to sin. And I love in the book where he talked about how God loves us, but pleasing him is our responsibility. Yes. Mm -hmm. Being in the sweetness of his fellowship <clears throat> is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about that, about the Israelites. So like here, he's made this his nation. He's saved these people. They've seen his wonders and his miracles. And he's like, I can't go with them. You're going to have to take them. Uh -huh. I can't do it. That really helped me with Second Corinthians 5, the whole chapter um, about how, when we talk about judgment and we talk about judgment, God's judgment over believers, that our sins are covered. But John Bevere makes the point that that judgment is related to how well we lived, AKA, did we please the Lord? in our obedience and good stuff it really does and i loved that <clears throat> that was a spotlight for me yeah i never thought about it like that before 
And in talking with Amy, you know, I spent so much of my life of just riding that line of I'm not, I'm not sitting, which you, t- if you say that you totally are sitting right. just for anybody else, yes. else yes. out there like me, <laughs> yes. that yes. there's a place by God's mercy that I came to and I, it just hit me. He was like, Chelsea, this, the, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't, is this right or is this wrong? The question is, does it glorify me? And when you ask that question, yep, it's pretty clear. It, it gets real simple, real quick. Um, here it's talking about uh, in Luke 14, about the response of those invited uh, to a feast. It's a parable that Jesus tells. Um, and Bevere makes the comment, however, when what is not sinful, what is not sinful, takes precedence over the word of the Lord, it then becomes sin. And these are people that were invited to the wedding feast and they said, I have a new vineyard that I must tend to. I've, I've just been married. Those are all good things. They're actually mm-hmm. all God-ordained, created things. Mm-hmm. And yet, how often do I put those things, set those things above love and obedience and cherishing the Lord. I was still in sorry almost for those people. <laughs> I was reading that thinking, man, we do that all the time. Like I think gifts. that's how busy this yeah. is. Yeah. It's, yes. it's like the gifts that God has given us so graciously, we turn around mm-hmm. and make an idol. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we begin to worship over yes. the one who actually gave us those things as, to begin with. As humans are terrible. He gives us some little something and we just go crazy for it. We do. <laughs> like we can't help ourselves. Yeah. I mean, we're just like the Israelites. We make <laughs> idols of our own hands. Yes. I loved it when you said that text. They cannot see. They cannot speak. They cannot hear. And yet we bow down to them. Well, that concludes part one of our book discussion. We truly are grateful that you decided to join us today. And please remember that it is God who's the reframer of our lives, making all things new because we ain't that good.